Look at that. We're rolling. All right. It's for real. Holy cannolis, guys. Well, I guess this is the first installment of the Big Bad Podcast or Behind the Glass. Yeah. <laughs> Not totally decided yet. By the time you hear this, it'll be one of them, probably. <laughs> probably. So I'm Zach. I run and operate Big Bad Sound. And to my right... I'm uh, Brian. I... Who? Assist Zach for the most part. And here. he does some engineering. Yeah, I engineer, I produce, etc. Uh, I'm Danny. Uh, I am a, a frequent engineer at, at Big Bad Sounds. I love working here. Uh, and I, I mix stuff in the in back of my house. I'm David. I am a somewhat of a consistent client, if you will say. <laughs> he is a drummer, session player, yeah. does a lot of work out of here. Working my way to be the house drummer at Big Bad Sound. Pretty close. <laughs> I mean, I'd say you basically are. Yeah. Uh, there's like you and like one other guy we use sometimes, but it all depends on the style of drums and who's playing and who knows who and all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, today, you were the drummer for our topic of discussion. Yeah. Drums. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about what we did for a second. So I mean, let me just make this cable real pretty right there. Okay. Just yelled at Brian about that. So yeah. I feel like it did. <laughs> um, we wanted to play around with drum sounds, play around with drum mics, play around with mic positions. We did not play around with preamps and stuff like that. We're not playing around. No. Yeah. Except for with the mics and the positions and stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, limits. Yeah. So. Just to preface, everything went through the API on the 212s. Most everything until a section that I'll talk about is totally unprocessed. It's just enough gain on the mics. We tried our best to match gain, but we were moving quickly. And, you know, the hit variance and also there's all sorts of variables in it. But we tried our best to try and keep it as fair and even as possible. And I think it turned out pretty good. Um, so let's see. We'll just go in order of how we did this. Huh? So for the kick drum, we were, oh, right. David, do you want to tell us about the kit? Yeah. In the glass behind Zach, which yeah, you, behind the glass, you know, somewhere <laughs> over there. I, I like behind the glass. It makes sense, especially for what we're about to talk about, because drums happen behind the glass. Just oh, saying. I consider this happening behind the oh, glass. Oh, no, I consider from my that. <laughs> it just, it's all your perspective, man. <laughs> I'm looking from the drummer's perspective on this one. Yeah. Uh, no, oh, yeah. I all guess right, we'll right. also admit audience perspective in these drum recordings. Fight me. <laughs> you can email me at Brian. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but yeah, this is audience perspective. I believe in audience perspective. I'm watching a performance. I'm not the drummer. Uh, David, one of the few drummers on earth who is on the right side of this. I co signed that 110%. I think we're all on that same Ditto. side. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Well, everyone's right. Back to the <laughs> drums. What are we doing on the drums? We have a Lugwit four piece 70s kit. No, it's not. It's not? It's 60s. 60s. Why? 70s just sound better rolling off the tongue. Yeah, but the 60s are cooler. It's a Keystone. <laughs> okay, kit. so it's a 60s, but in my head, it's a 70s. Well, it's a mm. 60s kit. <laughs> it's a 22, 13, and 16. That's a 13? Nope. What's a snare? A snare's a 14, right? Yeah. It's a 13. Yeah. That pork pie is, is it, a 13? No, pork pie is a 14. Yeah. No, I, it is. The no, I oh, couldn't the remember the rack. I'm a guitar player. I, yeah, yeah. But I, I bought the kit. 
I bought the heads for the session, and I remember one of them was 13. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the rack. Yeah. It's cool sounding kit. I did a bunch of refurbishment on it. But anyway, yeah. Blue wrap, keystone, just like classic maple kit, I believe. Yeah. So, oh, let me ask you about this, David. My friend Chris Smith, who I like a lot, shout out to Chris, was saying he likes putting reverse dot, like normal heads on the resonant heads. Does that sound crazy to you? It sounded kind of crazy to me, but I see, I saw pictures of him on tour, and he had the little black dot on those resonant heads, and he said it sounded really good. It's not uncommon. Oh, yeah? I've never heard of that. It's because, like, most people are familiar with the double-ply top, single-ply bottom. But, I mean, it kind of will give your drum a warmer sound because of the double-ply at the bottom. So it's, well. like, a little darker? or Yeah. Is it? Would it be less resonant then? Mm-hmm. That might be good. That's cool. I've never heard of using a double ply on the bottom, but yeah. I like them on the top a lot. I mean, on top you should, especially unless you're recording like jazz because most drummers are going to hit harder and single ply won't last past maybe if you're tracking like a full album, two songs. Oh, really? Hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, we used Coded Emperor. Heads? Yeah, Coded Emperors on the toms and snare, actually. And snare. Yeah, yeah. everything. And then Power Stroke 3 on the kick. Uh, and then David did a wonderful job tuning it. I can't tune drums to save my life. <laughs> yeah, by <laughs> ear. None of those weird machines or pressure machines. Uh, you're thrown in the fire when you tour, and you get a He's different good. kit every yeah. night. You have to adjust quickly. You know what you're doing. Huh? But anyway, so let's get down to business. So when we did this, we wanted to first try a bunch of different mics on the close drums of the kit just to see kind of how they respond and then work our way to overheads, monos, crushes, rooms, all sorts of things like that. So looking at our close mics, dang. You falling asleep? <laughs> I thought I told it not to go to sleep. So I have to like play the session off a different Pro Tools system and record this onto another Pro Tools system. So we started with the kick drum. And on the kick drum, we had, let's see, we had a D6, RE20, Beta 52, 421 and a D112. It's a lot of options. Pretty wildly different. For, yeah. For all being mics that are either like explicitly sold as kick drum mics or else like widely accepted as a good choice for kick drum mic, like pretty different ideas about what a kick's supposed to sound like. Yeah. I had a personal favorite going in and Same. kept it going out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'll let everyone kind of decide. So first we'll just kind of run through everybody. So here's the Audix D6. The RE20, the Beta 52, the 421, and the D112. Oh, God. Okay, so <laughs> AKG, I'm sorry, but that was our least favorite. Yeah. Though you guys proved your worth in other places, the D112 on Kick In, I did not love. Yeah, probably my least favorite. Yeah. I think the 421 I also wasn't super stoked on. No, but it's it's also not like anybody's first choice for kick mics. That I know. I've ever... I, in recording school, for some reason, we were like told to use them as kick in. I don't know if it's that particular teacher's thing. For some reason, I grew up thinking that people did that. The D one twelve. No, the four twenty one. I think some people do. I've I've heard of it, but I've never seen it, and I I've never like wanted it. to. <laughs> I didn't like it. 
I don't know, maybe in like a jazzier thing somehow it could be good. Maybe, but I feel like the RE20 is still probably a stronger choice there. Like uh, yeah. I feel like I trust it uh, in the kicks like fundamental zone a little more than the 421 maybe. Yeah, so here's the RE20. And then going back to the 421. Actually, mm. I don't know. It's weird and my headphones yeah, sounds different guess. than my speakers. You guys will have to decide. I hope you're listening not out of your phone speaker, but <laughs> yeah, they're like these kicks sound the same. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, these are all the same fucking kick. I, I can oh. confirm they definitely do all sound exactly the same out of laptop speakers. So. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure. The most different though, I thought was the the Beta 52. Yes, which I usually am not a fan of the Beta 52 just because it's so clicky. But I've done a lot of progressive metal stuff and technical metal and things that require more of that attack and. I like have to remember that for next time because it sounds good yeah. for that application. I'm just always doing a more like traditional rock kind of setup, and I gotta say that I mean the the D6 just sounds so good. Yeah, it feels like a uh, it's the most uh, it's the 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 Beta 52 is maybe a bit hyped uh, as far as like how scooped it is yeah, and super scooped how how extreme the sort of shelving that's going on is. Whereas the the D6 feels like kind of like a modest version of the same same idea. Yeah. Yeah. The no. low but the low end, so it's weird is you we'll see it on the floor tom, but the low end of the D6 is way accentuated on the floor tom. Yes. Really like, wild. I'm going to have this session available in the show notes for download where you can see it for yourself, but even the waveform is like way denser. It looks compressed. It's kind of wild. So, but anyway, so kick in for a more traditional kind of regular rock sound, I think the D6, the Audix D6 was the winner. Yeah. Um, maybe more of a metal or higher attack point, the Beta 52. And then the other ones just didn't really do it for me. I, yeah. I can see maybe in a jazz application the RE20 sounding more realistic, but... I mean, the RE20's whole thing is that it's it's like very flat, right? Which is sometimes, I guess, what you want. Right. Uh, and in the instance of a kick, not really. I mean, the things that make you like a D6 are like the sculpting that's happening. Doesn't, yes. Doesn't claim to be flat. Right. So, and I'm fortunate enough to have this API board behind me that has awesome EQs that I can do that if I need to. But, uh, you know, I always like to try and get it right in the order of the signal chain. Good source, good kick drum, well-tuned, you know. And then good mic into good pre, through good processing, into good converters. I think also if you were like doing live sound and you you know you get like 20 minutes to dial in the band sound, having a mic that you know is going to get you there just by plugging it in is kind of cool. And live, I think maybe even the beta would be better. Probably. I mean, I don't know about you, David, but in headphones, you're probably listening more for the attack of the kick than the low end of it anyway, right? When you're tracking. More than likely, I always like the kick or click. Yeah, right. So there are useful applications and it's all genre dependent too you know but i think that's where we landed so let's move on to kick out we got five five options we did the cal audio hm7u which i don't know if it's still in production but it's mm. like a fet 47 copy cheap um that greg wells recommended and i thought it sounded really cool so i just bought it immediately and uh the U87, Neumann U87. The AKG 14, I want to double check, but I think it's the XL2. Yes. I don't think it's the XLS. Whichever one was silver. 
Yeah. The X uh, XL two is uh, was sold as a set, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think that's the XL two. Oh, you can get XLS in a pair too, though. Oh, really? They're different. Oh, right, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we'll double check again. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But a more modern four fourteen, uh, the AEA R forty four ribbon mic with a pop filter to protect it, and the AKG four fourteen EB, which is the seventies brass CK twelve uh, capsule four fourteen. This was interesting. I definitely went in thinking I had a favorite and came out mixed and i mean the the ultimate like kit recordings that you're going to hear later on reflect like not really actually picking a favorite yeah there's a combination it's true um (laughs) which is pretty wild it's like sort of a new world of low end to what i'm used to hearing it was pretty rad though i was obsessed okay so let's work backwards again so our least favorite well here let's play them all you guys can decide in your head for a second and then we'll talk about it i don't want to bias you so here's the hm7u Okay, sounds like a kick out. The U87. A little bit more low into my headphones, which is funny. Yeah. Sounded different in my speakers. Uh, the newer 414. The 44 Ribbon. And the older vintage 414. Which is crazy. Well, real quick, I just want to talk about how crazy the difference is between the vintage 414 and the newer one. And I know there's some things like Maybe the kick was hit a little differently here and there, but we really tried to prevent that as best as possible, and David's a great player and very even. So, I mean, I think that's in the mic. I do. Oh, yeah. The older 414s sounded a lot like the 44, very bottom-heavy, kind of pillowy, darker. The newer 414 was more like in between the two, in between like the FET 47 copy, the Cal Audio, and the Ribbon. Yeah. Because the new 414s here, recompare. This is the newer one. And then the older one. The older one's way It's crazy, right? It's like two. The the older one sounds so much more like the 44. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 44 is like kind of tighter in a weird way, though, right? I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. Tighter. And then the FET's kind of its own thing. And then I think my least favorite was the 87. Yeah, yeah, that bunch for it's sure. It's kind of like, bah. it like has yeah. a weird tone to it. You really hear the skin of the head in not a cool way. It was like everything you don't want from a kick and very little of what you do. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention something. This could all be like Hocus Pocus studio stuff, but the head is ported, and I ported it in the dead center of the kick. A lot of people will port it like off to one side or whatever. Usually, I think that's just so that the logo of the band can be seen easier. But I feel like when it's in the, exactly the center, the tension with on the lugs is even all throughout, and mm. the tone of the kick is better. I could be crazy. It could not be real because I know you pretty much have it like as loose as possible anyway. But I feel like it's better. And I feel like where the kick mics end up looking when they're inside the sound hole is a better spot. I buy that. Uh, definitely, like looking at where the batter is striking that head head on makes sense as a thing to uh, to want. Mm-hmm. But I mean, shooting out two kicks with differently ported resonant heads is like a whole other. thing. We're not that, doing I mean, that. Yeah, I just that's, that's how I yeah. just do my all my kicks whenever I put a new head on the front, which is rare. But they get cut dead center. So try that next time if you're doing it. See if you like it better. Tell me what you think. Okay, so back to our kick. 
Yeah. Uh, the HM7 is the kind of tighter, more standard kick out that you'd think about hearing. Um, I do do EQ to it later in the way that I like, which is just rip 300 down on the API. <laughs> Fuck the <laughs> <And budget>. boost, <laughs> Like, oh, wait, I think. Yeah, I think I'm boosting 150, which is crazy. Yeah, there was something kind of surprising. I think that was an accident and just sounded good. Almost always, I just go straight up to that 75 and, and give that a bump because we have pictures we could probably put in. Oh, the, they're right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah, the show right. notes and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But anyway, uh, that I thought was the best for like a traditional kick out kind of setup. But that older 414 was tight. I really like. I like, really like. <laughs> I like it just for like sample stuff too, because like I do a lot of rap stuff. So you can like even turn it into like 808 sounding and layer it with a bunch of different kicks. Put like a subharmonic thing on it and like really, yeah, you can make it super cool. Make it super cool. Uh, The 44, loved it. Sick. It's so cool. People be careful with putting ribbons in front of the kick. We tried to put the coals in front of the kick and. Luckily, didn't tear it, but even with a pop filter, you could hear it like rattling, getting overloaded. Yeah, it was really farty. It was yeah. bizarre. I think the happy. 44 has more mesh protecting mm. it. There's like more screens throughout the cage system involved. That makes sense. I mean, they weigh a ton. I know. <laughs> the mic's like, it's like a huge Atlas stand holding the mic up. But, uh, but yeah, the 44 was sick. If you have one, put a pop filter in front of it. Maybe angle it a little bit so it's not parallel to the skin, but at like a 45 degree to the skin. And uh, try it. It's awesome. Yeah. Love that. So we ended up keeping the HM7U, the Kel Audio, and the R44. Which is not something that I would ever expect to find myself doing, Have like having like an kick in mic with the the audix d6 and then also two kick out mics no that's so many it's too many mics it's usually one in one out but it sounded good it sounded good and, and i i think we could have semi re, reproduced that with the 414 the older 414 is kind of like both but even the newer 414 was cool too it's true and i never use them i I'll, i actually I, that's not true i will use them but i never as a kick I've used a uh, 414 ULS as a kick out mic just because in, you know, like I, the mics that I own at home, if I'm doing like a session at a house or something are basically exactly enough to record a drum kit and like a bassist and a guitarist. Right. So, sure. uh, so it's like the 414 ULS is like the one that's available for outside kick. Um, I've also got a similar sort of like FET 47-ish thing that I'll use. Uh, it's not... What a, is it? It's uh, it's from a kit. It's a mic parts kit. Uh, it's, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I think I've, I've told you about this. It's it's based on a KM84 circuit, but it's a clone of a K47 capsule. Okay. So it's... And it's, uh, you know, it's in the chassis of a large diaphragm condenser. Um, so it's kind of like a weird best of both worlds, and I really like it on kick out. But I also like them on overheads, so usually I'll use it for that. You have a pair of those? Yeah. Yeah. I like the first one so much that I ordered a second one. And, <laughs> uh, and did you build it? it? I did, yeah. Nice. Sick. I like the sub kick on kick out. Yeah, Zach sub kick me on cool. that. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. I just don't need it. Especially now that I've figured out this 44 thing, I really yeah, feel like I don't true. need it. I had one. I made one out of like an Alesis speaker one time. And it sounded <laughs> awful. <laughs> you really need like the NS10 cone. I don't think. Uh, I, we tried a couple speakers a, a long time ago with a friend of mine, and they never sounded that great. Mm-hmm. Well, I love so, it, though. Something to do with that Elisa speaker, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I bring <laughs> Elisa's. 
Anyway, <laughs> speaking of overheads, we did not shoot out overheads. No. We will at some point, though. That would be a cool, another one to do. But Those we just, ones are so dope, though. The, I know. We just go-tos. stuck with the standard uh, here at Big Bad, which is the Flea C12 copy. Mm-hmm. Flea audio is just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I have, yeah. I have the 47, sick, too. Those are great mics, and they sound like a freaking drum kit. I mean, download this session and check it out. You'll listen to them and... It just sounds like a drum kit. Yeah. And maybe a little bit more kick, you know, just because of where they sit. But I think those got like the least dramatic EQ of any any mics on the kit. Probably, it's probably my standard uh, 700 cut. Right. Yeah. That I think I, I think it Shakir ended up at 500 King. actually. Oh, really? I think, or may, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. You we'll have check. Down we'll check. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. But anyway, moving on to. Rack Tom. So David beautifully tuned this Rack Tom. <laughs> Do you have any tips for tuning drums that you could share? Bottom head, tighter than top. Is, is that the bottom thing? Yeah, it's usually a standard word. Like most of the tone comes from. And this is something that I'm still learning every day. So I can't say I figured out tuning, but I figured out a method that works for me now. Yeah, it seems to work pretty good in here. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to get as low as I can without rumble and it's sounding paper yeah Mm. yeah yeah yeah. do you have like an interval between the top and bottom head that you usually aim for i don't have the theory version that i can like speak to you but it's just like my ear like i just kind of set a tone and it's usually based off the rack because that's where i start Mm. and then some people try to go like octaves between their first and floor tom but whoa Oh. Just depends. That's really why. I was like one, three, five, or that's, something. Yeah, that's how I've I've had people say they tune the toms and the snare to a triad like that. Yeah, I think that's all nonsense. <laughs> I think yeah, you just make yeah. the drum sound good. I hear people like, like tuning it to the key of the song. Oh yeah, I've, I've heard people of that in for here sure. like playing the piano and tuning the toms, and I'm sure it sounds good, but I don't know. just just make sure the toms in tune with itself, which is what mm-hmm. I was about to ask you because that's the thing I am the worst at is I can't get. But when I'm going around tightening the lugs, all of a sudden, and I hit on the rim between the lugs, and I still can't. How do you do that? How do you get it to be even? You know, honestly, I feel it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. Like, I feel like as soon as you get one half even, the other half just, it'll be one lug that's like a semi out, and then you'll tune that, and then the next lug will go out of tune. It's just a chain reaction. Like, personally, that's Well, how I do you find. get it? I don't. Oh. What does just, it end up with? A slight turn off here and there. But pretty close. Whatever yeah. sounds best. I just try to go until I feel it sounds good. And again, it's going to be different uh, perspective each drummer. Yeah. But again, I'm as low as I can go without paper and rumble. Did you need to do anything to the tom head since they were new? Like, well, did you have to break them in or do you stretch them in a weird way or did you just kind of go for it? I kind of like do the whole put your fist in there and full weight down like the first tuning round Mm -hmm. because it's going to drop anyways. And heads, new heads are like, give or take depending on the drummer if you want to change them. I personally don't like them the first go around of a session because they're just too new. I think they just sound better Mm -hmm. when they sit. So just keep tuning, tune higher than you actually want to go because it's going to drop. Yeah, guitar same way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything will kind of loosen up a little bit. That I, makes sense. I have a question, though. I don't, yeah, yeah. I might sound ignorant, but 
when you hit, when you're tuning the drum, are you looking for like a certain note or just as low as you can get it? There's like, still a note that I'm looking yeah. for, but as low as I can go. Gotcha. Especially for floors. Yeah. It needs to, to me, it's like, it needs to be a second kick. Okay. In a way. Cool. That's there good was to know. a mic that kind of did that. We'll talk yeah, about that when yeah. we get to floor. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get back to the mic. So, Rack Tom, we didn't do a ton of options. We just did three. I should have put the 84 on there, the, the KM84, because I've done that before and liked it. Whoa. But, um, really? Yeah. yeah, but then you risk someone hitting a $1,500 microphone. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's like, why not just put a $300 microphone there? <laughs> or, or less. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so, speaking of, the 421. It's panned. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. panned audience perspective, everybody. Yeah. Anyway, so that's 421. Standard. Yeah. Sounds like a rack tom. No bottom head miking. I don't do that. I know a lot of people that do. I'm sure it sounds really great, but I just feel like there's a lot of phase going on, and I never really felt like I needed to. Yeah, I mean, every mic that you add to the kit is another phase thing to work out. That's why we stuck to a clean... How many mics are on here? 14, no, 17 <laughs> microphones. <tight> 17. <laughs> yep. Some light. Yeah, no, but I agree, especially with close mics. Yeah. Yeah, you can put weird mics in weird places, and usually the phase is either far enough away or distorted enough in a way so that it's not a huge deal. But when you're dealing with close mics, the tighter the better, I guess. That being said, we did do three snare and three kick mics. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the snare before we... Uh, no. All right. Let's go yeah, back. Yeah, one, one back at a time. time. Right? I'm sorry. Time. I have so much I want to discuss. Mm. So back to it. 421. The 441. Same company. MD441 by Sennheiser. Almost <laughs> sounds the same. Yeah, on these cans. Uh, and the 414. They sound a little different in mine, not to yeah. brag. But <laughs> well, Brian's <laughs> Brian, in a nice 770s. Brought, brought his own headphones. Yeah, smart. Bougie. He's my shitty headphones. <laughs> All right. Anyway, these headphones aren't shitty. They're just designed <laughs> for tracking, so they're a little mid-forward to cut through against ambient room noise. But anyway, whatever. Uh, I thought they all sounded almost the same. Yeah. Very. Even, yeah, even on the speakers. Not yeah. enough of a difference to go against the 421. Yeah. Right. Like and, if, <sighs> if you happen to be listening exclusively on some like top-shelf studio monitors, you might have a strong opinion about the difference between these. but I mean, maybe. I was listening exclusively on my top-shelf studio monitors, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And like, I don't know if I want the ambient pickup of the 414s. Right. Like, you know, there's a symbol like right over the floor tom, and oh, there's yeah. a ride like in line with the rack tom. Like the, the snare will get in there. It, yeah. yeah, we did a four fourteen on them. Yeah, the last one. What polar pattern did we do? Just cardioid. Wow. Oh. <laughs> 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 anyway, so I think we decided four twenty one. It's inexpensive. Used. They're much. They're very affordable. Sometimes they get beat up, and they can handle. The clip you know. sucks. Clip sucks. <laughs> I have tape on my. I don't know how they haven't. Fixed yeah. they, it's been around since like the late '60s or yeah. something, and they have not fixed that mic. But anyway, sounds good. Sounds good. Just put tape around the clip. It's fine. Uh, yeah, you can find them. Mine are all dinged up with stick heads and stuff, and they sound fine. So try and get one for cheap somewhere. Moving on to the floor, Tom. Four twenty one. Nice, David. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no screw rattle. No rattle. Yeah, we fixed that. That was a thing. Vintage kits, you know. Uh, the D112, AKG D112. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So least favorite kick mic, pretty good floor tom mic. I would like to see the rejection pattern. Like, you know, it's similar to the 421, but a little different. And I'm wondering if symbol rejection is better. Maybe. Yeah, that's a good question because uh, like a kick, a kick mic doesn't necessarily have to, you don't have to worry about rejecting from the back that much because there's nothing behind it. Yeah, right? usually not. I, I assume it's standard cardioid. Maybe it's Probably. a little hyper, but I don't know if it's easier to maneuver in a full kit setup situation where it could yeah. be maneuver because it's not as deep as a 421, no. you know, like these little football things. Right. So maybe even though it sounds pretty similar and arguably maybe better for the right application, maybe it's even better because of what you can do with it. We didn't really test the bleed from other symbols and stuff, which is maybe we'll, we'll get into that in a different session, but could be a useful thing I didn't really think about. The RE20... Sounded pretty good too. Yeah. I mean, part of it is you just did a really good job tuning that <laughs> fucking drum. Again, get it right at the source and yeah. then you don't have to fix it later. Yeah, that's that's if you're gonna take anything away from this, that's that's pretty big. Like the tuning is huge. Yeah. Get a friend to help you. They have tools if you don't have friends I can help you, where like either you do it one at a time and it like measures the pressure or the note or something, or it's like dial. Yeah, drum dial, yeah. Or it's like this thing you put all on at once and you like loosen all the lugs to like just as barely finger tight and then you like crank it and it tightens them all evenly. I've never used either one, but I assume they probably work. Yeah, it's it's pretty wacky, like kind of Rube Goldbergy for for my taste, but <laughs> if that's where you're at, no judgment. If you make I your mean, drum sound good. Yeah, if it sounds good, who cares? Yeah. I've done all sorts of weird stuff. Um D six. Oh yeah. So much bottom yeah. in the D6. Yeah. It was so the decay cool. Is like, boom. And you can see it in the waveforms. It's like, it looks thicker yeah. and compressed. It's wild. Yeah. It's so different. It Again, doesn't look like the same instrument. We'll like, just go back and forth real quick. So the 421. And then the D6. Like a little more, a little more low end on the D6. You kind of hear that it's like really made to go inside a kick drum. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little clickier. Yes. I vote for that. <laughs> it was all about it. It was cool. I thought it was a little over the top. Maybe if I put a filter on it and tightened it a little bit, it could be cool. But the last one, the 414. Sounds good. It's very accurate. But yeah. again, I'm worried about how much bleed from cymbals and whatnot will get in there. Because it's one thing, I don't know, you like try and gate your toms or or clip gain down a little bit or whatever but then a fill comes along with a decaying symbol and all of a sudden shh, like like yeah. oh you get all this three or five k into your mics and your, it sounds really shitty and then you try and take that away but then your attack and your drums go away right so try and reject it as best as possible do you have any tips for symbol rejection well, if it's a, a standard cardioid polar pattern, you always want the butt of the mic kind of facing up at the cymbal. Correct. And if you can kind of approach the tom with the stand from the angle where the butt is going to be pointed most directly at, at the ride, if it's the floor tom or mm -hmm. the crash, 
if it's the rack, depending on how it's uh how the kit is set up. Um, that that helps a lot. Yeah. Um, that's about the best you can do, right? Yeah. Balance the distance from the tom because if you're too close, it's all attack and you don't get any developed low end. If you're too far away, it's all symbol. It's a little right. bit of a sweet spot. I like to look. I like to face the the mic at where the stick meets the head. Some people like to be perfectly parallel to the head surface. Some people tilt it more towards the rim, more towards the middle. I'm pretty much at the middle. I like the middle too. The the pointing directly at the head, like perpendicular to it, always to me is just like logistically, like I don't exactly I don't get how you make that work with having your stands in there with all the, the hardware and everything. Like it just feels like it's in the way. The only time I've really seen people do it successfully is Steve Albini right. with the yeah. ES twenty twos, the Josephson Mike. Oh right. Yeah, but they're kind of shaped. Right. Yeah. They're it's so easy. Then they're yeah. side addressed. So yeah. you just they're like kind of built for that. He also uses under Tom Mike's pretty regularly, I think too. I bet he also pans drummer's perspective. <laughs> yeah, he might. He might no, I, I love Steve Albini. <laughs> yeah. His records are fucking oh, awesome. Incredible. He's such a cool dude. I like his militant attitude towards this process. I typically edit the symbols out of the rack tom. I mean, out of any the toms. I do too. Yeah. I saw a video. This is not a friend of mine, but Tom Lord Algae, my bud. Uh, <laughs> he he uh, does this thing where he will edit the toms, and then you can uh, highlight like just after the attack through the rest of the decay of the tom, and then audio suite a low pass filter at like. 800 or something so there's no upper symbol in yeah, it yeah i do that oh. and if you catch it just tight enough you won't hear any symbol yeah wow sick. and then you just audio suite takes it takes extra time but really what takes 15 minutes to get through all the tom hits yeah, in the song and then right, you're exactly. done and it really gets rid of it. that's like my it favorite sounds, yeah ever since you taught me that i haven't done it differently yeah it's so awesome shout that's out wild. tom Algie. Mm. yeah shout out mixed with the masters i think that's what i learned in it <laughs> but it works Anyway, so I think we decided 421 on the floor yeah. as well. Yeah. David's exception. He likes the D6. D6. I like it too. It's pretty Applicable wild. In yeah. Some and the 112, I thought they were all good, but they weren't good enough for me to be like, I'm going to change from the 421. I mean, it's an industry standard. Yes. I feel like if you were doing something kind of unconventional with the floor, Tom, like. Yeah. You make the, like funky break beats or some sort of like samples or something. Yeah, yeah. or yeah, if the floor, if the floor tom's playing some sort of elevated role in that song, like I could see that being a move to use something like the D6, where you're bringing out a ton of bottom end on it. Yeah, if you're doing a cover of uh, Rock and Roll Part Two, <laughs> I've seen someone, some of my buddies covered Black Beatles, and they had like a really oh cool, nice yeah, like, it was a rock cover of it, so they did like floor tom stuff, and mm-hmm. they they, it well, they got pretty sick. some guitars in that song. Yeah. Like one guitar. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cool song. Uh, okay, so 421's Toms. And then, oh yeah, bottom snare. So top snare, I always do the same thing. And it's taping together and phase aligning a KM84 Neumann and a SM57. They're very different sounding and they complement each other really well. The 84 is weirdly mid-scooped in, in, in comparison to the 57 at least. Sure. And so it's got like more top and more of that 200 bottom. And maybe it's just part of the proximity effect, but and then the fifty seven is really mid forward, so that like one to three kind of k attacky area is really intense, and together they make a cool sound. But we don't have that that we're playing right now. You can hear that in the stems. (laughs) But uh, we tried bottom because I always use the four forty one for bottom, 
I've had a couple people in here use 57s, a couple people use like a, the 84s or some sort of small diaphragm. Uh, I didn't want to do that. I, I hate small diaphragms on the bottom. I feel like they pick up too much kick and they are way too sensitive. There's a lot of hi-hat and it yeah. gets, your hi-hat gets all swishy and phasy and someone's, not about Someone's it. had me put the RE20, I think, on the snare bottom. Bottom? I forgot. I think if I'm not tripping, but I want to say it was that uh, Brazilian metal oh, yeah. thing that That's we did not too long ago. Huh. Well, it might be wrong though. I was just, we didn't, <laughs> I wasn't there for that. Brian engineered that record. That was a cool record. Yeah, it was a oh, lot yeah. of mics. There's a lot of mics. It was crazy. It was like 30. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it was like every was symbol, mics. every tom. There's so many toms, yeah. a huge kit and like multiple rooms. It was cool though. A lot of stuff yeah. that I wasn't familiar with that he'd be like, put that on that. I'm like, what? <laughs> Zach doesn't do that. <laughs> it's okay. That one's got their process. Yeah. I'm sure it's going to sound great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we just did two. 441 and the 57. Here's the 441. Sounds great. I love it. And the 57. It sounds almost the same in my headphones, but they definitely sound different on my speakers. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the 57 is very small, kind of tinny and bright. Yeah, sort of shrill. Yeah, it just has all the frequencies I don't want. And it's, it's weird because the 57 is such a standard on the top. It's mm -hmm. like... People don't even question it. We didn't even question yeah. it. Yeah, and know, like, like philosophically, I feel like phase-wise, the same mics looking at each other, if you just flip one, would be a good thing, you know, for right. the frequency response being similar. I don't know. It, in, in theory, it made sense to me, but I didn't like it. No, yeah, not a fan. 441 is great. I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. yeah. Best snare bottom. Okay, so here's a fun thing. I feel like I'm on NPR. <laughs> uh, rooms. Oh, yeah. So I have a standard room spot, which is the walls of the control room, like go into my live room and come in this like whatever stop sign-y looking thing. And uh, I like to put the drums in the center of the room and then have the mics face the wall, like away from the drums, right where the drum, where the walls like break and start to angle. And be pretty high, actually, like pretty high, because there's wood up there and it's soft material lower. And so we decided to figure out different distance points. And uh, nice, sorry, <laughs> put an effect on that. Sorry, buddy. Put <laughs> some slap delay yeah. on there. So we tried different distance points because sometimes you get a little bit too much kick on one side, a little too much snare on one side, or whatever. Figure out how much ambience, how much width. Um, I tried going down longwise in the room, but when you set up the drums on one end of the room and the mics on the other, the length from the drums compared to how wide the mics can be from each other become very mono. Yeah. And it just doesn't sound cool. It's far, and you start to get a slap effect, which isn't as cool as you think. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but like there's if you want to slap, there's better ways to get that. The, the ambience is wrong. So I yeah. feel like the, the mics being wider... And still far from the kit, but not crazy far. Ended up sounding way better. Yeah. yeah. Way better. Looking at the wall, like facing away from the kit, plays a really big role in that. Yeah, because then you're just getting the reflected sound. You don't have any direct sound in the signal. And you'll hear one of these, we went Omni, which would capture some of the direct sound, and it was my least favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd think the Omni in the room would be the right move. So here's uh, like halfway in the window. It's the midpoint.
sounds cool. It's heavy on one side. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. like, is that me? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's heavy no, on it's... one side. And but it's heavy kick, really. It's yeah. not the whole kit. It just feels like because there's so much low end on that side. So it's too wide. Heavy kick on one side. Uh here's um like skinnier together, like right where the window breaks, like the edge of the window. A little bit more even. Yeah. Less distance, though. Yeah, and it's like, what do you want more of? Do you want the evenness? Because close mics can help balance that out. Or do you want, or compression can ha- help balance that out? Because yeah. we hadn't had any compression on it yet. This no. was just raw. And then a filter. I mean, even just cutting some low out might center that kick a little bit again. Yeah. So then here's at the outlets. And the outlets are... Towards the far the the wider side of the rooms, I think. Yeah, an yeah. extra couple feet in each direction. Yeah, I think right. But that makes a difference. Oh, absolutely. The extra couple feet is it really makes a difference. So here, check it out. Snare's good. Yeah. Okay, so I liked that. I I remember liking it not as much when we were doing it, but I think I do like that. I think we were kind of tripping about the how centered they all felt mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and that one's like the least centered. Yeah, but the tone the is first cool. one's kind of not super centered either. No, and that's just like I think just sort of a peculiarity of the room and wherever you're recording, your room is going to have those two. Yes, correct. Yeah, there. My room is not perfectly symmetrical. There's a bunch of strange angles, and you know, it all kind of varies. And the, yeah. there could be little modes in certain areas, but whatever. Uh, this is the middle wall. So this is the flat wall, parallel to like facing the drums. I just wanted to see if bringing them tighter together made more sense. It didn't. No. <laughs> So yeah, I mean it was more balanced, but the distance is gone. The roominess and is gone. There's no there's no real feeling of spread on that at all. No, no. Um, Might as well it, just have like a mono kit. Mic. Right. It, it's it was almost like having your overheads just a little bit too high, but without even having as clear of a Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't like that very much. And then this is the outer window edge. So this would be our widest position we did. Yeah. It's like the far edges where the windows meet the wall. I see you studying your beat. <laughs> There's some things you just have to remember. It was cool. That's one of them. It was cool. I loved it. Uh, I love that. It's yeah. not even. You can even yeah. see it on the Pro Tools session. It's super weighted on one side. That could have been us. Maybe we could have helped weight it. But I feel like I was going for snare evenness, and it created a kick weight. Yeah. I don't know. But I really liked it. I thought it sounded really good. The width was cool. I think that's yeah. about as far as you can go in this room before it starts being weird, though. And for the, for those of you uh, who can't, who have never seen this room, which is probably most of you if you're hearing this, <laughs> this is like the from tightest to widest is a difference of like what maybe eight feet, ten feet. Yeah, something like that. At least in how we did these mics. Yeah, and the room is about forty feet wide, but we didn't go all the way to the edges no. of the rooms. Uh, yeah, probably yeah, probably per side around right, per eight side. feet. Yeah. yeah. So, tightest to widest is probably 16 to 
18 foot difference. Yeah. Which is big. That is big. That's pretty big. I mean, but that was the widest. So I'll do Titus to widest real quick. So this was the widest. And then this is tightest. Oh, you got a message, Zach. Damn it, Chad. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, despite <laughs> that, <laughs> uh, the kick's cool. The low end of the, of the middle wall, I was like, whoa, that's pretty tight. Yeah. But it's probably because it's tighter, so the phase right. is better and blah, blah, blah. But the space on the snare is gone. Right. It's very, like you said, it's like overheads that are too high or something. You don't necessarily need to be looking for your room mics to be bringing you that low end anyway. No, mo- most of the time I'll, fill, I'll like, I'll give it like low end, but I'm faking. I'm doing like 200. I'm not doing 50 hertz right. in, my, in my rooms because I want, I want a focused phase, like very clean defined low end. And that usually comes from taking it out a little bit on my close mic or on my far mics and having it be in the kick mics themselves. Right. Sometimes even just the kick out. Not always though. I'll get some low in the kick in, but sometimes I'll filter the kick in up to like seventy or something. Really? And let the sub be all out. Huh. Yeah. It all depends. Depends on the drum and the whatever. But yeah, I like as focused and as little phase issues as possible in that distance just makes a bunch of issues. Last position was in the window break where we liked I think the best was like that inner edge yeah right that was the most even while still retaining distance but now like that i'm removed from it i kind of like some of the wider spots too we'll play with that again on another one but this is at the window break but in omni so it's catching the slap reflection in the wall and it's looking at the kit Nice, nice one, David. <laughs> Happy accidents. Sounded cool. Um, it sounded cool if there were not a lot of other mics involved, but it's too much of the. I I know what's going to happen when I start adding my close mics and my overheads and all that, and the amount of direct signal to ambient signal, the ratio is just off. And as soon as I start adding real mics in, the ambience is going to get drowned out. So I want as much ambience as my rooms as possible. So that when I start putting that direct signal in, it doesn't get eaten up by the frequencies in the close mics. You know? None of these mics is is working in isolation. Like right. yeah. even as we listen one at a time, you're never gonna hear them that way except during this podcast. Yeah. I mean, maybe you go to a bridge and it's just the rooms and then yeah, you explode into the core or the intros like a roomy thing, but for the most part, we're considering a standard like blending of all the mics together. So and by the way, those were the 414 brass capsules that we use. I just think they sound so good. Um, I like ribbon rooms, and we do do a pair of ribbon rooms that you'll hear in a minute. But they're different. They're lower, and they're, like, more kick-heavy, and they're it's a different thing. Yeah, it holds, like, different genre of room mic kind of. Mid-room? Halfway? Yeah, I guess yeah. it's like a mid-room, yeah. yeah. So the next was the Crush mic. This oh, is yeah. my favorite one. Yeah, yeah. The Crush was so cool. So... The way we position this, which is my favorite position, but someone, I got, I'll check the Instagram. Someone showed me. Oh, I read that. I yeah, read what that. did he say? I'm gonna look at. He said bit. to like t- tilt it like more between the drum, the snare, 
and the kick, like find a center position, like rejecting a certain side of the of like the symbols or the tom or something. But like he he, I think he said to like process it a certain way. Yeah, it but, was really cool, and I was like, oh shit, I gotta try. Yeah, that. I was I was like, damn, that sounds very intricate, like positioning wise. But it sounded cool. This is just. Oh yeah, uh, he said, but he goes equidistant between the bottom snare and the beater head, which is cool. Oh. And I have done that, but yeah. you get it's very like electronic sounding, like it's like white noise snare and like a clicky kick, and that wasn't what we were going for here. No. Like it's very like. Like, because it's so close to the bottom snares. I think a big part of what came out when we were doing these crush mics was that all the shells in general end up being kind of part of the picture, and it's nice to have the toms be represented. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that having... The position that it ended up in is pretty, like, central to the whole kit. Right. Correct. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're looking for a, maybe a particular flavor from the kick and the snare, maybe that's the way to go. Right. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because most of what I work on, like, doesn't typically include toms. Yeah. I mean, it does, but like one or two, you know? So I like the focus on the snare and the mm. kick because most of the stuff I listen to is pretty kick heavy. Sure. You know? Sure. Like, AKA Drake. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and yeah. And if it's you're like vocal, to... kick, everything else, you know? Yeah. Like, just because these are organic drums doesn't yeah. mean the samples can't be used for yeah, electro- exactly. like, like more in the box produced music. I think it's awesome. Like, yeah. why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of the standard stock, like 808s you hear, because everyone owns them, like, yeah. make some funky, cool things and yeah. fuck with them. But yeah. So we did over one of the lugs, and then it's looking at the side of the snare and it's kind of angled in a way so that the rejection pattern of the ribbons with the ribbons that we used is looking at that ride that kind of hangs above the kick. Right. Yeah, ribbons ribbons reject on the sides and then and above the and below. Them, yeah. So a different different from like a normal front address or any kind of cardioid pattern mic. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, super different. Different ballpark. Yeah, and, and you can use that pattern to your advantage by making sure that rejection faces the stuff you don't want. So it also kind of faces the kick, but it's looking at the beater side of the kick enough so that it's not really rejecting. It's just rejecting the side of the shell of the kick, I guess. But I have a question for David, though. Do you guys use crush mics on tour? No? You just 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 like bare minimum as possible? It's like standard kit and then crowd mic. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, I feel like it'd be really unruly on stage. You'd probably get some weird... Rumbles. If, if there, yeah, if there's amps on stage or yeah, there's people moving around. Like everyone probably has fucking Kempers on stage. <laughs> That's probably true. Look, I like Kempers. I think they're cool, but <laughs> I'm such an advocate of tubes, man. Not to hate on Kemper. I've been tricked by them more times than I'd like to admit. But I just love pushing real air through. You know, really getting tubes hot and really overdriving stuff. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, if you if, if you, you can, if the facility you know, yeah. doesn't if the, where you're working or your workflow doesn't allow for it, I get it. I mean, it's all just about music. But if you have a place where you can get loud, get fucking loud. There's something about the pressure in the room, like affecting the microphone, that you can hear. It's super real, or even Definitely. like rattling in the room. Sometimes if it's really loud. It's kind of cool to like hear the room shake a little bit. Some of those things you just don't really get in profiling. No, and there's something I like the idea that I'm going in to find some amount of randomness or that like the, the environment mm-hmm. is going to interact with me during the session in some way that I can't totally predict going into it. Yeah. Right. I Adds feel like, to the sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah. that. And it, it, it cultivates a certain kind of process, I guess. Yeah. Right. You know? Anyway, back to our crush, Mike. So, uh, yeah, so it's over the lug on the beater side, pretty close to the shell, looking at the snare. And I'm trying to, like, position it in a way so that it's almost equidistant from the toms and the snare. I'm trying to kind of center it as best as possible, but, you know, to the best of my ability. And then we... St- and then we crushed it on, I have a Hairball Audio clone of the Revision A Universal Audio 1176 that sounds awesome. I built it. It's super cool. Those guys are super cool. Um, we just crushed it, and I don't think I was EQing. Not yet. Yet. Yeah. No. Later. But we crushed all of them. Because the point of this was to, it's a crush mic. Yeah. Natural, it wasn't going to do what I wanted it's, to do. It's not going to sound like it's a good mic placement on it without the processing yeah. I think all buttons like, in slam it you can yeah. recreate it with like the CLA 76 or the UA 76 or something uh, but here's the 121 It was awesome. I love the 121. It's so cool. Uh, the D19, which is a uh, older, it's kind of the 57, the SM57 of Abbey Road. It's a cardioid dynamic mic uh, made by AKG that they rebranded for a few different companies back in the 60s. It's a super cool mic. I mean, it sounded really cool. It's a little grainy in the top. I think yeah. that one sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, harsh. Okay, fair. I, I don't know. Just from what I got from it, it sounded so hollow and like. Yeah, it did sound hollow. You know it was, it was like, bright yeah. and bottomy. Yeah. It was definitely kind of scooped. The the kick or the the snare comes through way more aggressive on that one. Yeah. I think, which, which you might want. Yeah, it could be cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, here's the worst one. I have an E609. It's a Sennheiser kind of like guitar amp kind of mic. It's a little square. So oh, yeah. That's like that I just had in the mic locker. And we were like, let's try that. And I thought maybe we'd stumble across something awesome. But... Not my favorite. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's okay. We try, we try. And then just a regular SM57. Not that bad. Yeah. No, no. That's probably the more common crush mic that people end up using. I don't know. I feel, are 121s that much more expensive than... Yes. Yeah, yeah that's it's right. like at least it, yeah. I think used are like around a thousand bucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you want to put a hundred dollar mic there instead, yeah. it still works. Yeah. That sounded good. Someone yeah. suggested the SM7 uh, on Instagram, which probably would be super sick too. My friend Matt, shout out to Matt. Uh, and then the 441, which a couple people have done here before, and I was really excited to hear it and like really listen. And this is what it sounded like. I didn't like it. Oh, I wanted to like it so bad. I was like, 
prepared to be like, oh, well, maybe I need to buy a second one because I yeah. need it on bottom snare too. But I didn't like it. No, not, not my favorite I really either. wanted to. It did a weird thing to the kick. You hear that tone in the kick drum? Yeah. Yeah, I, I hated that. Uh, oh, man, we have so many of these. Oh, we only have <laughs> two more. We only have two more. So we did the vintage 414 for fun because mm-hmm. – the new 414 probably would sound good doing this too, but I was like, let's just put the cool one in there. Yeah. And the oh, first okay. time, figure eight kind of mimicked the ribbon. Right. The reason yeah. why we didn't do a lot of other ribbons was they're big. They're big. It would be hard to squeeze them in. Yeah. The 121 is so easy to just kind of like, so it doesn't weigh anything. Yeah. You want to pause so he can swap out? Okay. We're going to take a quick break. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Wrong computer. <laughs> it's uneven in there. I'm gonna have to clip gain one side. I feel like oh, some of them, yeah. on how you were saying, you're talking about shit on audience perspective, and it's like, I think it's in drummers. Your headphones are probably better. Really? Oh, that was fast. Yeah, I'm just gonna Oh, okay. It's an intermission, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> Not quite an I intermission. I haven't gotten my, my popcorn. We're <laughs> filming this because we're gonna like make a little video too and. Sp- hopefully be able to splice in some of the shots we took while we were making it yeah. so you can get a reference idea of where these mics are and what they're doing and you can see our beautiful faces yeah. especially David's who I'm looking at right now <laughs> yep thank my parents shout out to them <laughs> <laughs> should me and Danny leave or <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah, get yeah. out of here <laughs> All right. you guys want to be alone <laughs> so last crush mic vintage AKG C414EB brass CK12 capsule in figure eight. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not yeah. mad at it. Uh, I thought it was a little wooly. There's a lot of bottom. Yes. The figure eight proximity really, I felt like it was almost slightly overloading in a way. Like it feels, it felt like a little bit of low end distortion, but. Could be super cool. Could be. All depends on what you're going for. And because of that, we decided, what if we went cardioid and tamed that a little bit? And that's this. Which sounded great. Yeah. But my only thing about it was it didn't sound very crushed and it was yeah, crushed. No. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing with this placement is that it's like, it's about the way that the mic plays the 1176. Kind yeah. Of. I mean, this was, it was just like, it didn't sound very yeah, crushed. No. I guess there was just enough ambience or something in it to make it sound not crushed. Cause going back to the 121, which I think was our favorite, it sounds crushed. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like that, the 121, for whatever reason, makes the 1176 react in this way that's like what you're looking so for. So cool. It's, it's like, it's the lowest output of all the mics that we tried in this true. position. But which is, just turn on the mic. I didn't, right. I, ch- I dialed the mic pre per mic. I didn't just leave the pre in one spot. Right, right. Uh, but Spanx. Yeah. It sounds so cool. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, a lot of times I'll feed drummers that mic. Or like a little bit more room or something to get them excited. Like when you're drumming, do you prefer to get more? Like, what do you want in your headphones as a drummer? I'm more of a I want a tighter sound just yeah? because of the stuff I listen to and the yeah. stuff that I play more than likely is a tighter sound. So I prefer that. Pretty mm-hmm. much just shells. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, and hi hat completely out. I yeah, just, really? I hate hi hats. Uh, wow, I hate that's hi-hats. interesting. I hate all the symbols. I there's no. I mean, I'll always throw a hat and maybe a ride mic up just in case I need it, but I it's muted. I never have it. We didn't do any hi hat mics this time. When you're on tour, do you play with the trap hats on them? Yeah. I mean, just as much. I as say you this can. all the time. No matter what genre, I hate hi hats. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm. Man, you were just, born in the wrong time, man. It just sounds annoying to my ears, but oddly enough, I use it the most. Yeah. But I just don't want to hear it. Because of the trap yeah. thing? Well, we've cut trap stuff where you've done little crazy 16th rolls and triplet things and funky hat beats. You you know how to work it. I just don't want to hear you it. You just don't want to hear I it? Just, yeah. <laughs> in the That's hi-hat... Cool. That's interesting. I feel you. It's It's got this job where like it's the most audible part of the kit, no matter what. It yeah. like it just lives in a zone that cuts through, and it's almost always playing this role where it's like always keeping the beat, whatever mm-hmm. else is doing. So it's it's got this important job, so it's always going to be there. But it's also kind of obnoxious. The things that make it obnoxious also make it work at that job. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I get what you're saying. Just it's a live click at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you keep up on tour? Like I don't know if any of the music that you play is like has this, these type of patterns, but. When it's like sixteenth, sixteenth notes. Like, have you ever? You guys have all heard the Cardi B, the Bodak Yellow. Mm-hmm. She has all the like. Would you keep up with that, or would you just hit what you need, what you're like humanly able to? What I'm ever humanly possible yeah. to do, because I mean that's a computer. And yeah, somebody exactly. Honestly, probably just click change grid and just type yeah. stuff in and said this yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. Totally. I always wonder how you applied that in like live situations, though. I aim to play it exact, but if I can't, yeah, don't sweat it. Just stay out the way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. Because you can't keep both hands on the hi hat the whole time, you know. Like true, if you're yeah, trying yeah. to hit everything, like I feel it's all about the wrist, though, right? Wrist fingers, like you know, or just stay out the way. Yeah, just stay out the way. Let the program hats be program hats. Yeah, I get it. Uh, all right, how many more? Okay, only two different types of, th- sorry, I lied. Three options left for different mics. Uh, and then we'll listen to the samples all together. So next is just the mono overhead. And because we were using C12s, my normal go-to was the Coles 4038. It's a ribbon mic, commonly used for drums. And just placed equidistant from the snare as the overheads, looking as best at the snare as possible, in a little triangle kind of around the kit, and you know against the overheads, and it sounded like this. Sounded great, great fill. <laughs> uh, it was a little wooly in yeah. comparison to some of the other ones on its own right now I was like oh man that sounds really cool but after hearing a couple others which we'll do and going back and hearing it it's a, it's a little wooly it's which so weird out? it's the coals of, you know, the black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's such a common mono overhead mic right like an unbelievably common mm-hmm. overhead mic I was really surprised and it could have been my position but it was not that close to the shells it really shouldn't have been that dense no and the other mics weren't doing it, and they were in roughly the exact same position. So I don't think it was my position. So let's... Yeah, we were specific about the measuring on that. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, were pretty, we were pretty adamant about it. So here's the 67 in the same spot. Mm-hmm. 
awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've never not liked that mic. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's Al Schmitz go to Desert Island, right? So if the king of using mics with no processing chooses that as his like best, like most used mic, I feel like. I want to do the same, (laughs) (laughs) but it's true. And that 67, to be fair, is a really nice one. Yeah, it is. My mic tech tried to buy it from me and I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. It's a good story. It's a really good mic. Uh, But anyway, that being said, we already have the C12s as overheads. So I don't know if the 67 would be that necessary because it's not very complimentary. It's almost more the same. I mean, the C12 definitely sound different. But all that condenser, I like the idea of it being a different type of mic. Yeah, uh-huh. doesn't mean it's the best, but mentally it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's I think the risk of the mono overhead mic also because it is going to get more heavily compressed than yep. the regular overheads is that you're going to get a whole ton of symbol, and if it's a yeah. mic that's already going to accentuate the symbol, that's kind of a risk. Yes, yeah. I agree. I agree, Fucking and I want symbols. you know part of the overhead mics. I know. I know. <laughs> is that they're looking at those symbols. Because that yeah. mono mic isn't usually over. I mean, maybe it's that ride a little bit. Yeah, but for the most got... part, it's in the middle, and the symbols are out here-ish. Right. Unless so, you got like a splash and a china. And... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I guess. But let's think about like a traditional kit. You have your hat on this side so and a your splash crash. We're going to get our friend Lang over here. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> Shout out, Lang. Yeah, but... uh. So I like the idea of it being a ribbon. Doesn't yeah. mean it's right, but I feel like either or. Like maybe if I had had ribbon overheads, the sixty-seven would yeah. be the perfect yeah. mono red. Right. Um, this is the U forty-eight, which I was pretty surprised by. It's here like a weird fill. Yeah, symbol-y. Yeah, I didn't love it. And, and it's it's hard in these in these headphones specifically, but I remember uh it's a little crispy. Like it's a little yeah. grainy up top and which is weird cuz it's such a good high end on vocals that mic. It's a yeah. vintage mm-hmm. Neumann U48. Yeah. It's so good. But uh I didn't love it there. No. So like weird. I, I would have thought it would be great, but it was not. And last but not least and probably my favorite, the 44. Just the biased R44. Thing. Shit. It was awesome. Yeah. It, it like has a little bit more extended high than the Coles, a little bit more detail, I felt. And it gave the weight of a ribbon, but it wasn't overly wooly. So going back, like, here's a 44. And here's the coals, which is slightly louder. The beads are different, but yeah. I think you know. I think you can tell still. The, there's a little bit more clarity in the 44 without sacrificing any of the weight. Yeah, it just feels more yeah. linear. It feel, Yeah, it's just a better representation to me. And I love the Coles. They're great mics. And they yeah, ended up finding yeah, a home in this setup yeah. down the road. And I wanted them in a different spot. I wanted them in the kind of the chambery thing we did. Because right. I know it's so good in there, but we were already using them somewhere. I was like, all right, well, we only have a couple. All right. So moving on to the Coles, uh, we did these low rooms, which were a 
bitch to get even. Really yeah. hard. Yeah. Oh my God, that was so tough. So we had to measure over and over and then like we kept moving them. We thought it would be like a triangle, like overheads where it's like evenly spaced kind of in relationship to the kit, but it ended up being kind of angled in a way so that the mic that would be on the right was almost in front yeah. of the kit, like in the yeah. center, and the mic that would be on the left was like way left. Like yeah. imagine that uh, the drum set has like an equator that goes through both the kick and the snare. That's the center of the kit as you hear it in your speakers. So those mics are kind of positioned on either side of that Correct. line rather than how you would look at a drum kit head on. Mm-hmm. Which would put the snare on the audience right, the correct right, yeah. the correct right. Um, and you don't, since this is a stereo mic setup, and it's so so much closer to the kit than the high, the high overheads, it felt more important to have it be balanced. The high rooms, the, yeah, the, yeah, the high yeah, rooms, yeah. the high rooms, yeah. Yeah, I thought it should be balanced, and it was just fun to practice. And there's yes. so much kick in it, a ton of kick, and it really is cool. In addition, when you like put them in with the rest of the drums so yeah it, it's good that it's even these these mics are i think eight and a half inches off the ground right that's where we ended yep, up yep yeah. that is where we ended up and i don't remember how far away 100 mm-hmm. something it's like 110 inches yeah not very wasn't which it is, 101 maybe maybe something yeah roughly there were two, like two that. ones and a zero it's not yeah. it's not <laughs> that far like when you look it sounds far but it's not that far because it's from the snare so when you look at it in the room it's i think i remembered because 101 dalmatians that was oh, my perfect nice <laughs> there you go Oh, mine palaces. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, these are the R84s in that position. Mm. Punchy. Yeah. I, they sound good. I yeah. really like the 45. I feel like I like them better hearing them on headphones now <laughs> I than I did. But wait, this is the Coles in the same position. It's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ambience is just yeah. better. It's just it feels a little cooler. I, I yeah. don't know. It's just it's a, it, I like the detail of it better. I yeah. thought it turned and, out better. And strong, like a lot of a lot of weight in a good yeah. way. And it wasn't yeah. woolly. It just like yeah. had the weight. So we really so the Coles found their place. And the last place is the last mic is where we. I wanted to put a Coles because it's what I usually use, but the Coles found their place. So we had to find a new option. And it was leaving the door open to this little sound lock we have, which is like a small, I don't know, 25 square foot closet room thing where you enter to get to the A room of the studio. And then on your left is the live room door. And in front of you is the control room door. And on your right is the machine room door. And it's just, Drywall, high ceiling, super echoey in there. So if you crack the door and put a mic in there, you instantly get this big, like, bottomy chamber sound. Yeah. It was awesome. And, oh, both of these options are ribbon mics, which, again, are figure eight and have a null on the side. So where the door's cracked, I have the ribbon mic side in line with that. So it's like trying to reject as much of the drums coming into the room as possible. So it's only catching it bouncing off the walls. And this is the 84 in that position. (laughs) 
Ah, so cool. Yeah. It was so cool. And then this is the Royer 121 in the same position. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's brighter. I feel yeah. like it was more attack, and I don't want that. Right. I want ambience in my room. So we went with 84. Mm-hmm. We yes, did. Yes, we did. Yeah. We yeah, did, yeah. did end yeah, up I just want to make sure I'm right about that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah too, too much attack in that sort of scenario can end up, if the mic is far enough, creating like this sort of delayed effect again. Like we, we talked about mm-hmm. with the far room mics, you get this like flam effect, which, again, if you want that, you know, use, use some delay. Yeah, you can make that super easy, and you start getting phase issues. There's there's all sorts of reasons why you don't want a lot of attack in your rooms, unless those rooms are their own thing for some sort of specific reason, and you don't have the close mics, and if it's too mushy, it'll be hard to get it to stand out in the mix in the way you want. So, But for this application, with the idea of combining all the mics, we wanted the more ambient yeah. tone. Speaking of which... Those are all the mics. That's it. All all 17. (laughs) So here are in combination where we landed with some like single shots. And then I'll show you what happens when we ended up doing some EQ, some compression, and then we'll play some of the grooves and stuff that David provided us. So here's a kick. That's awesome. Fuck. (laughs) One more time, one more time. (laughs) And that kick is D6, the HM7, which is the FET 47 clone, and the AAR44. As well as the rooms. As well as all the rest of the mics. High and low, yeah. crush, mm-hmm. hallway. Side yeah. note, I'm kicking through the kick drum. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's just <laughs> slamming it. Yeah, so whenever I cut samples, which I think is a good um, practice, is do at least too quiet, too medium, too hard. That way, if there's slight variance, you can pick some little – it might – change the t- the note or the tone so it's good to at least get a couple but I'm just going to play the hard ones because they're the cooler ones Agreed. here's our snare woo hear that cymbal ringing <laughs> that sounds awesome yeah sounds awesome that's a 441 uh, on the bottom on the bottom mm-hmm. and, and then the, the 57 in the uh, yeah, no, no, one. Oh, yeah, it was a Grinelli. So Grinelli Audio 84. Labs makes, or Grinelli Labs or something, makes a 57 that's like at a right angle. <laughs> and yeah. somehow they've chambered that angle in a way that keeps that behind the capsule chamber the same, which actually does affect the frequency response of the really? 57. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like an exact copy of the 57, just angle. Well, it is, but that that chamber that's behind the capsule, yeah. the body of the 57, affects the frequency. Oh. And so when you do that right angle, in theory, it should make it different. Uh, but they found a way for it to be the same. Sick. I haven't really tested that, but I have not been disappointed with the mic, so I don't really yeah, care. I, it sounds good I, to I me. I think it's also really convenient for snare. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah you tuck it under yeah. the hat and then face the back, the butt of it to the hat and reject more high yeah. which is the... Bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you don't need to be finding ways to add hi-hat to anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to show Ever. up. <laughs> okay, so this is our rack tom. Cool. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> 
sounds like a good ragtime. And then this crazy, which is 421. And this crazy thing is the floor tom. That's a stain. That's good. <laughs> uh, one more time. Yeah, sick. Okay, so that was our raw samples. <laughs> Again, they're in the session. We're going to do a little Dropbox folder. I'll probably bounce out samples as just WAV files. Um, I'll keep it full fidelity. We'll do 9632, and then you guys convert it however you want. You guys can make fire beats. Yeah. With David's drum hits. Yeah. And then let's go on to processed. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to be overly technical about what's going on, but I will give you a little bit of what's up. I mean, any of <laughs> any of these Whoops. numbers, like EQ frequencies that you would throw out, can end up being really circumstantial. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, for sure. But some of them are percent. almost a standard for me. And totally. some of them are because of the type of EQ I'm using has selectable frequencies. It's not variable, so I only have so many options. Mm -hmm. I love that because it puts you in the Same. position of just deciding, like, okay, does this one sound better or does this one sound better? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't have to worry whether 260 sounds better than 220 or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's just, here's what it is. Yeah. And those frequencies are chosen, I assume, right, Paul Wolf? that for their musicality. So yes. they're already giving you a little bit of a head start. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe you'll like it. They're, you know, UAD and Waves and a bunch of people make copies of this. This is a four-band API EQ. So, yeah. So Kick In was the D6. Um, just ripping out 300 hertz. I hate 300 hertz. <laughs> uh, boosting 75 a little bit. Boosting 3K. Boosting 7K. I do boosting 7K on a lot of my close mics. Yeah, a lot of them. Uh, I got that kind of from CLA, like the 8K on the SSLs, kind mm. of a trick. And there's no 8K on this, but that's close. And I yeah. did it as a not as a joke, but just like kind of doing it. And I was like, oh, this is rad. So now I just do it yeah. all the time. It's like a pretty modern sort of drum yeah, sound. Yeah, definitely adds a modern tone, gives you a little bit more energy. But 7K can be a dangerous frequency to boost. So yes. I think I'm just doing like a click, maybe two, which is 2 dB steps on the API. Uh, kick out. HM7U, again, ripping out 300, boosting 150. And like Weird. we said earlier, I think I meant 75, but maybe I didn't. Either way, sounded great. And then a little boost at 8K, or 7K. The 57 snare, boosting 200, which is super common, somewhere around 200, 220 is like the fundamental like meat of the snare. Cutting 500 and boosting 7K. Uh and then into the distressor, I'm hitting it pretty hard. I think I was doing like 7 dB. Yeah, real hard. Yeah. That's why another reason why I do the 84 and the 57 is if I'm doing a bunch of compression to the 57, I have the 84 open for almost like a parallel compression kind of thing in yeah. a way. But it just sounds good. I like hitting it really hard. Yeah. It sounds awesome. I don't give a shit. Fight me. <sighs> the 441. How are people going to fight you after this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> I've been working out. I've been working out. I've been climbing rocks. Uh, Snare bottom, 441, boosting 7K, and a little bit of a, a roll-off, just the high-pass filter on the console, which is an 80. Um, rack tom and floor tom, I'm both filtering at 30 hertz. I'm cutting 400 out of the rack tom and 300 out of the floor tom. Makes sense. The rack yeah. tom's a little higher. Yeah, higher tom, higher overtones. Yeah. And then my favorite thing to do on this console, because the way it harmonically enriches the stuff on toms, Cranking 75 hertz, like literally like 9 or 12 dB, like crazy. Uh, and doing that to both toms. Yeah. It sounds awesome. Yeah. But 
I'm filtering some of this up. So it's it's cranking on a bell, and then I'm also cutting the sub sub low, so it tightens it up. It's not overly ridiculous. Those are passions to the filters. Mm-hmm. Oh. And that was like a pretty delicate dialing process, if if I remember. Yeah. Correctly. Well, they're so small. Yeah. The filter. They're they're like your window of frequencies yeah, is right, so tight. Yeah. You really got to be careful on them because they're small little uh, 200 series units, which is smaller than the 500 series. So those knobs are tight. Um, both of, oh no, well both I'm doing the little 7K thing, a boost 7K. But the rack time I'm boosting at 3K for attack. Floor time I'm doing 1.5. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Again, I don't know if that was a mistake. I was trying to match it, or it's just going by ear. It was pretty dark. We had the lights kind of dim in here, and we're vibing out. But that's where it landed, and it sounded good. Yeah. So, yeah. Whatever. Sometimes I'll pull that out of a lot of things, like 1.5 out of guitar amps. Yeah. 1.5 out of snare a lot of time. I don't know, but I boosted it this time. The overheads are the C12s. We cut out 700, which is, again, I think Jakir King, I saw a video of him doing that, and I, he says six, but... There's no six. There's no six. There's no six. <laughs> yeah. We got five and seven, and seven sounded better. It's like one click, it's like 2 dB. Um, and then a, another click out at 3K. Yeah. Uh, that's just a harsh area. Yeah. 3K, I, I almost never want more 3K. Pretty much never. I have it on a couple things. I mean, the kick in. That's true. That's, that's true. Uh, and the rack tom. What does that help with yeah. on the kick? Attack. Attack? Yeah. 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 And that's why I usually take it out of the overheads because if I'm putting it in other stuff, I don't yeah. need it in my overheads. And the, the symbols give you so much there. Yeah. Uh, guitar cabs also. I know we're not talking about I guitar, know. but you're right. There's it's it's like a hiss. You yeah, don't like three, it. Three, four k yeah. is a terrible area for you, electric guitar. Yeah. Especially distorted electric guitar. Um, we had the thirty three six oh nine compressing it. And I took it off. That's right. And yeah. I usually use it all the time. I think also maybe it was the high rooms, but at some point there was like a one hundred hertz boost on either the overheads or the the high rooms. It's the then, high rooms, yeah. And then it came off. Oh no! Oh yeah, you're right. You're right, J.K. Damn. Okay. Which is interesting, and I, I think maybe that had something to do with the fact that we're using three mics yeah, on the kick. Yeah, that's this what time. I was just about yeah. to say. I, I think we we're getting so much bottom out of the kick that I was like, "This isn't helping." Yeah. <laughs> uh, the high, speaking of the high rooms, got the overstayer compressor just doing crazy shit to it. I love that thing so much. The, v, the stereo VCA. It's got a dry wet on it, so it's like, uh, I don't know, seventy five percent wet or maybe a little less, sixty percent wet. And just slam it, really giving it length. I'm going for when I do that, I'm going not necessarily for the distortion or aggression, but to extend the length of the sound of the shells. So right. they sound longer and further away hmm. and maybe take a little attack out so that the close mics can really come through and give us that attack in the correct spot, not like 20 milliseconds later. You know? If any of this like 17 mic setup seems kind of extravagant to you, that's the reason to do this, right? Is that you're not going to get both the attack and the length from one mic generally. Well, it's really hard to get the length, especially for something like a snare when you're an inch away from the snare, to five inches away from right. the snare. You yeah. need distance. You need the room to react to it to hear the length, not the drum itself. Right. But floor tom, you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> different, different story. But it's different. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you don't tune a snare tom like you tune a floor tom. They don't resonate in the same way. No. So, uh, right, David? Am I right in that? They don't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you. And then, and this is, David's a professional yeah, drummer. Incredible so. source. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and then I'm cutting 500 there. It's just a little boxy. Yeah. I don't think I really needed to do that, but it sounded better when I did and gave the snare, the close snare, a little bit more character. So that's good. But boosting 800 unequal between left and right because there's more mm-hmm. snare on one side than the other, just in the way the mics are facing. It helped kind of even out the snare's position between left and right. So, and the 800 was cool because it didn't give you the harshness in those like one, two, five, you know, 3K, the little clicky attack parts, but it gave you. Like bark, yeah, know? yeah. I That's, like I like that a lot. It's like meaty overtones of the snare still at yeah. Eight hundred was rad. I don't do that a lot, and I'm definitely gonna try start trying it more. I'll do it on distorted bass though. That's a yes, great spot yeah. on distorted. The bass, bass kind of like speaks in, uh, especially on like Six laptop eight, speakers. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Okay, then crush that one twenty one boosted a hundred, boosted eight hundred, boosted. 7k i think i wrote 70 but that can't oh no maybe it's 20k let me look yeah it's 20k so it's just air i think it just felt choked because i was slamming so hard i was like maybe if i make it brighter it'll feel a little better yeah and that's like one click it's like 2db um and then the 1176 slamming it to death uh you guys see that you put your hair on your mic (laughs) it ripped off i had a lot of it (laughs) The big mono, which is our chamber mic, got it's the 84, cutting out 300, cutting a little 150, mm. uh, cutting a little 3K, filtering 80, and then some heavy compression on the LA-2A. I think I just didn't want a lot of low there. I don't want yeah. a long low end. I, no. I just wanted ambience in the upper yeah. mids and the mids. The the cutting 3K is, is pretty common for like a concrete room kind of scenario like for that sure. too. Yeah, for sure. That's That's tough. And we're getting that out of the, again, that's where the attack points are on our kick-in and our 57 snare. So take it away from the ambient part and you get more clarity in the attack of the close mic. Yeah. Puzzle piece it a little bit. Um, Okay, only two more mics. The 44 kick, we cut 300. It says deep. I must have ripped it down like 12 dB. Uh, Yeah, I think it was all the way down. I love it, man. Like, why not? It sounds good. The the way a lot of these EQs work in the analog world is just so different digitally. They'll bend. Right. As you push harder, the components saturate and that boost becomes less realistic because the headroom of the unit itself is starting to reach its peak. So it's not like digital where like boosting 30 dBs goes forever. Like, When you hit the headroom of the electronics of that unit, they square the wave off, usually if it's good gear in a musical way. So a 12 dB boost might not really be a 12 dB boost. might be 8 or 6 or something. Right. So, yeah, 6 plus some some bonus harmonics. Exactly. And sometimes you have to do it to get to that harmonic point. You're not actually going for a boost 12 dB. You're going for a saturation. Right. And so that's, just, yeah. I mean, that's like what you go to a console like this for is yeah. that kind of saturation yeah i mean that's why we chose an api instead of an ssl like yeah ssls have a certain saturation that's cool but we're we do so much tracking here we wanted like a cool tracking console anyway last mic low rooms the 4038s cutting 300 hertz boosting 75 hertz really accenting that kick yeah it's probably i think it's like a click boosting 800 again getting oh, some yeah, meta. It's, yeah. i think it's because there was so much snare bottom it was kind of like thin on snare. I wanted to like meet up the snare a little bit. And then the 1176 black revision D by Hairball Audio, 20 to 1 ratio. Steep. 
How do you uh how do you dial because this isn't like dropping a stereo eleven seventy six plug in on a stereo track and right. tools. This yeah, is two separate sure. units. Maybe say a little bit about how you how you balance something like that. Um I start with putting the input knobs in the same spot. I know they're gonna react differently, so the output knobs are definitely gonna be in different spots. But I'll start like with the input knobs like three o'clock or something. And then I try and make sure the mic pre's gain match as best as possible. So I know they're coming in as even as possible. Yeah. So hopefully the compressor is reacting the same, but they're in different parts of the room. There's definitely slightly different frequency responses. One's looking at something differently than the other. So I'll slightly tweak it to try and get the meter to be the same. But if it starts sounding weird, I'll change that. I'll definitely go for ear over what it looks like on a meter. But I'm also swinging at 7, 10 dB at 20 to 1. So... Right. It'll even out in its own way just because of how much compression. And then the output, because I have a console, I can crank the output kind of hot and then pull the fader of the console down so I can really use that transformer. Yeah, right. In the 1176. But otherwise, if that wasn't the case, I just you know get the output to finish out evening out the levels as best I can. And then when the levels are even, if it sounds kind of weighted, I look at my compression, I'm like, all right, am I over-compressing on one side or the other? It takes a couple steps, but I've done it so many times that I can get there pretty quick. I've just done it a bunch. And I'm just hoping my compressors are calibrated about right. But in the <laughs> right. end, I use my room, my, my ears as best I can. It's easier to trust the, the VU meters at 20 to 1 than it is at all in. Yeah, right? for sure. I mean, the meter's crazy at all in. It's like yeah. pinned all the way to the right <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when yeah. it's when there's no audio. So, which I guess makes sense on the compression. But still, yeah, yeah. it's still pinned. It's not at zero. You no, know? no. It's at plus three or whatever. And it, it, it'll look like it's compressing you know, one or two dB very quickly, but you're hearing so much Crazy. compression. Yeah. Well, the multiple ratios create these square waves, and it's really wild. It's a lot of fun. It's awesome. That's, all, like, the coolest thing. All the plug-in versions do it. Yeah, if you, you can definitely Yeah, do. if you have the CLA or whatever, and you haven't tried this, you have, you have to try it. Yeah, it's the best. And you don't have to push it as hard as you think. Like, you really don't have to go into it that hard to get it to sound cool. Sometimes if you overdo it, it chokes it out. It sounds bad. Um, worth worth mentioning also, anytime that there's an 1176 in this setup, attack always basically all the way slow, yep. release all the way fast. Yeah, the release... Nope. Oh, no? Nope. On the, on the low rooms. On the low rooms, the release is like 3 o'clock. Ooh. And the attack is like 11 o'clock, like number 3. Oh, really? Oh, never mind. And it's like okay. 3 and 6. That's usually my starting point, though. The, the crush cr is yeah. all the way open. I think I was just controlling them. Yeah. <laughs> and all that low end really affects the compressor. So yes. the low end might have been a reason why I was dealing with playing with it. Right. There's no sidechain filter. This is correct. Yeah. Old school. Another thing to mention, all the EQ is pre compression. Uh except for the Pultex. Am I compressing that kick out? I'm not compressing. Oh no, that's that. right. There's no the Pultex were not paired with compression. Yeah. So, yeah. Everything is pre is pre. And uh I don't think there's a better. I think it's just for different uses. You know, if you crank low end pre the compressor, the compressor will react differently. And sometimes you want that, sometimes you don't. Same with if you want, I don't know, if I want the snare to make the compressor react more, maybe I'll crank the snare's frequencies at 800 or 1K or something way harder into the compressor to get it to react to the snare. And then maybe I'll re-EQ again after. Like, there's no real rules. Yeah. I, I'm not a big, like, do it before or after. But the way the console's set up, the EQ's pre-insert. 
And a any any compressor is going to add overtones. There's going to be some some sort of distortion that's like part of what you're going for. So yeah, especially these types. Yeah, whatever you feed it, the overtones that you're going to get that you're going to get are going to be reflective of what you're feeding it. So right. you're boosting low end, you're getting overtones off the low end. You're cutting low end, you're getting overtones off of higher stuff. And the timing of the compressor itself, the way it pumps, the kick pattern's different from the snare. So yeah. if the snare's triggering it, it's going to attack and release and pump in a certain timing and groove differently than if the kick is triggering it. So it's kind of what do you want it to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, that being said, it sounds like the way I EQ that, I was just doing what sounded cool. I don't think I was thinking about timing very much because we were also just grooving all sorts of different shit. Yeah. So I just did what I thought sounded good and then put the compressors in and then compressed it. I don't think I EQ'd it based on the compression for the low rooms at least. So let's hear the processed samples. Here's our kick out. Sounds great. Yeah. Our snare. Yeah. Ooh. Racked on. I'm too soon now. Yep, yep, yep. Um, floor tom. Yeah, I love yeah. that kind of growl in it too. It's some of the distortion. It's in the tom itself, but I think it's cool. Yeah. I think it sounds rad. And then uh, we did just a couple more snare hits and, and hits just to make sure we had some decent ones. Oh, that's that's Tom's. Yeah, you're not fooling me. Listen <laughs> <laughs> to the snare. Boom. Damn. Makes you blink. I love it. And the kick too. We we did a make sure we had a solid kick hit. Sounds good. So that's basically what we did. I'm going to play a couple grooves just so you can hear in context how these drums sound and what was going on, and then and we're done. Yeah, no <laughs> more for you. <laughs> Until next time. So here's a couple things.
sounds pretty good. cool. It sounds Filming. super cool, yeah. man. There's a bunch of different grooves and all sorts of things at different BPMs, and the session, the project sessions reflect all the BPM changes and everything. So check it out. Play with it. Yeah. See what we did. Uh, again, we're going to have samples edited and then the sessions available. So, yeah. and documentation, like pictures and stuff. Yeah, we'll have some pictures and everything. So, I'm not exactly sure how we're re- releasing this yet. I guess like YouTube and all the normal shit. Yeah. So, we'll include links in a little, you know, some sort of downloadable link and everything in the description of wherever you find this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah by the time it's up, the link will exist. We will have figured this out. So, I'll probably put it on my Twitter too. Sick. What's your Twitter? Yeah. At B R I X B R H Y E X. Sick. Well, David. Yo. Thank you for all of your help. Plug yourself, David. Yeah, well, you got uh, Okay. I'm a ghost. You'll find me later. Okay. Okay. He's a ghost. Creepy. What about you, Dan? Uh, at Dan Destiny on, on Instagram. Uh, I write for uh, the Pro Audio Files as well. Um, I use some uh, some drums from this session, actually, in an article that might be live by the time this goes live. Tight. Say, yeah. That's cool. At B R I X on everything. B R H Y E X. Yep. B R I. That's how the streets know me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, and I'm Zach. Uh, you can find me at Big Bad Zach or follow the studio at Big Bad Sound L A. And book a session today. Yeah. <laughs> and at me on Twitter so we can argue about things. Yeah. <laughs> at Brian so we can argue about. Um, what did you drummer's say? Perspective. <laughs> yeah, drummer's perspective. <laughs> And uh, all that other fun or stuff. Or DM Zach. And let me know. We're going to start doing a bunch of these. We're going to try and figure out, like, what do you guys want to hear? What do you want to figure out? What are you curious about? We're, we got some some ideas yeah. for a couple of things that we're going to try. We're going to keep doing this. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We're going to do some ones that aren't so long that require less yeah. microphones, too. So they're not <laughs> yeah, all going right. to be these crazy yeah. things. But this is good stuff. So I guess we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Peace. Booty.